Your life's not over. It's time to reach up like never before. Reach for all that God has for you. Stretch forward your faith. You can do the impossible if you'll dare to believe God. Today is your day for spiritual breakthrough, revelation, reformation, reclamation. If God be for you, who can stand against you? A thousand may fall at your left and 10,000 at your right, but it will not come nigh your dwelling. It's time, body of Christ, to stand firm on the word of God and believe the impossible. Today is your day for salvation. Tomorrow's over. Your past is behind you, but your future is shining bright ahead of you. Lift up your eyes. saying today is your day and if you'll dare to believe me I'm going to astound you I'm going to make all your critics tongues fall out of their mouth their eyes are not going to believe what they're about to behold because I am taking you from the ash heap from the dung hills of this life and I am setting you among princes I'm raising you up to reach a generation for me forget yesterday. you got to forget about your past. It's over. Don't let the enemy remind you of your yesterday anytime. God's not speaking to you about your yesterday. He's speaking to you about your tomorrow. Anything is possible. I want to talk for a couple moments on this subject, the birth of the church. I want to go to the book of Acts and uh, I just want to kind of touch here for a few minutes, maybe read uh, some, you know, several verses and just go through it line by line. And I hope that you'll get something out of this tonight. I believe God will touch your heart, touch your spirit. And, uh, and I want you to see that through all of this, through the birth of the church, that God set up a divine order. Say it with me, divine order. Divine order. Divine order. Now, you may think that you don't know as much about order uh, as you should, but I, I want to tell you that um, because of the way that the, this county and area has been for a long time, and that's changed now, but this has been an area where people have been, <coughs> excuse me, second, third, fourth, and sometimes even fifth generation welfare, right? Yeah. I mean, that's been... Per Predominantly, that I know is that people who receive money from the government, they know a lot about work. Now, I want to tell you that I'm not against people receiving money from the government. There's a time where you need assistance. Amen. And you need help, and that's fine. I am against people scamming the system. I am against able bodied people that could work, not working. Right. I don't think that's right. And people that receive money from the government, they know something about order. Because the government will tell them all the boxes they got to check in order for that check to start coming. And all the boxes they got to check in order for that check to keep coming. And they'll even tell them when it's going to come and how it's going to come. Yep. So much so that they know 
how the check is released and if there's a problem, who to call and when to call and when the check's going to come and they understand divine order. And I want to tell you that just like people receive money from the government, that there is a government, a spiritual government, and through that government, God has a divine order. Say with me, divine order. And he sends blessing and increase through the divine order. I'll say it again to you. He sends blessing and increase through the divine order. It's coming through order. It's not coming through chaos. It's not coming through some back channel. It's not coming through some out of the way means. It's coming through order. The blessing, the future, the thing that God has for you moving forward is coming through order. So, let me say it to you like this. The Bible says, and you can read it in the Gospels, speaking about Jesus. When the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, speaks to Mary, she says to Mary, his name shall be Jesus. And then she, he goes on down, and one of the last things that he says to Mary is, his name is Emmanuel, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Didn't say the government would be on his head. No. <clears throat> said the government would be on his shoulders. The shoulders are the 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 the, the furthest, uh, the the most. How how should I say this? The the highest point of the body, the shoulders. See, you run out of body right here, and you get into the head. The shoulders are broad. They're able to carry. They're able to uh, distribute weight throughout the body. They're able to shoulder great loads and move them forward, etc., etc. And so the shoulders are the highest point of the body. Everybody say the body. The body. And when it says the government shall be on his shoulders, how many of you know that Jesus Christ wasn't walking around the earth carrying the government? No. It's not talking about the government of Jerusalem. It's not even talking about the government of the United States of America. It's not talking about the government of the world. It's talking about a spiritual government. And then we find out that Paul refers to us as what? The body. And he is the head. And so the body of Christ on the earth shoulders the spiritual government of the kingdom of God. Say with me, divine order. Divine and the book of Acts is a neat book. And let me just tell you why we're getting into this. We're getting into this tonight for a couple of reasons. First of all, because we need to know it. Secondly, because just like the church began, that's how it's going to end. Amen. I said just how the church was birthed in power and authority, that's how the, the church is going, to, is going to wrap up. Now, what do I mean by that? How many want a brief study of eschatology? How many of you are, are, are aware of what the word eschatology means? It means a study of the end times. A study of the book of Revelation, primarily. The book of Daniel, parts of Isaiah, even references in Job, Psalms. All of those point to the end times, the last of days. How many have heard those statements? Now, when we say that Jesus is coming soon, what we're referring to in the church is the rapture. And I grew up thinking that when the rapture takes place, that's when Jesus is coming. But actually, that's not what happens. There's a great catching away. 
that we call the rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. However, the term catching away is. <clears throat> you can read that. And that is where all of us that are saved are called up that we leave the earth. We shed our bodies here on earth and we are taken into heaven. How many of you ever seen the movies Left Behind? Yeah. <clears throat> That's kind of a picture of what happens. Although not exactly. And then we're in heaven through the tribulation. And there's many, there's much debate about that. There are many people that are, you know, post-trib and mid-trib. However, I can tell you this, that the, the Bible says that during the tribulation that the Holy Spirit will be taken from the earth. How many of you remember that? You ever read that verse? The Holy Spirit's leaving yeah. the earth and be taken? The church was birthed when the Holy Spirit came from heaven to the earth. Amen. The kingdom was birthed when John started preaching. Yes. But the church was birthed when the Holy Spirit came. Right. So if the Holy Spirit is leaving, guess what else is leaving? The church. The church. Amen. Because we're in the dispensation of grace. This is the era of the church. You know what dispensation means? It means an allotted amount of time. That's what it means. We're in the dispensation or the allotted amount of time of, of grace. And that means that this is the church age. Right? And so there is coming a moment. In, the Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed, changed caught up, called away, taken. It's going to happen like that. And that's going to be when the church leaves the earth. And then there's the tribulation, and the Bible talks about seven years. I don't have time to go into all that in the millennial reign. And then Jesus is coming back a third time, a second time, excuse me, with his church. He's coming to rule and to reign, set up shop. And so I think it's important that we know how the church began. Now, many of you know or may not know that we're a non-denominal church. And I'll tell you why we're a non-denominal church. <clears throat> not because we're against denominations, but because anybody that adds to or takes away from this Bible is not, is, is not a true teacher. They're a false teacher. Right. And the book of Acts is our blueprint for how to organize and how to operate the church. This is our manual. And I've yet to find an organization that just uses this. Most of them want to add a lot of stuff to it. Yep. Most of them want to take a lot of stuff away from it. I want to go with just this. And so the book of Acts is written. How many know, or maybe is anybody here, you know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote the book of Acts. And that's important because Luke was a physician. Luke was a physician. As a matter of fact, he was one of the only 12 disciples to have a a blue-collar job, an educational-type job, although being a doctor during the time of Christ was nothing like being a doctor today. It was not as prestigious. No. It was certainly not as lucrative. It was much more um, tedious, and there really wasn't as much medicine available at the time to help people. And so doctors, however, uh, were people that were very detail-oriented, as, as they are today, People that are that notice the minute details, and he was trained in penmanship. And so, the book of Luke, in which he wrote, if you'll 
Go through there and read. You'll find out that what happened is Jesus came. He starts his ministry. All of these things are happening. And no one's writing it down. No one's actually recording what's happening when it's happening. They're living it. You know, they didn't have time to stop and take selfies. Yeah. Action was hot and heavy. You see what I'm saying? They were in the thick of it. And then years after Jesus leaves the earth, probably two decades for Luke, He's sitting around and people are telling stories of stories of stories that they heard about Jesus and the birth of the church. And Luke starts thinking to himself, now wait a second. I better write down what I saw before these jokers make it into something that it wasn't at all. I better record what actually happened. And he wrote the book of Luke. <clears throat> and then he begins the book of Acts and he records the birth of of the church, and we're talking about the birth of the church and specifically divine order. And he says this in the former account, Acts 1 1, which I prepared, O Theophilus. Now, many people will argue that term, Theophilus. Some people think it's a person, some people think he's talking about or pulling from the Greek word theophany, and he's talking about the apparition of God to man, that he is literally. <clears throat> trying to outline theology for us concerning the birth of the church that he's speaking in broader terms it really doesn't matter because what he's writing is important to us and he says this I made a continuous report dealing with all the teachings which Jesus began to do and to teach now he's talking about the book of Luke here and if you go back to Luke 1 We'll just do it really quickly. If you go back to Luke 1, and you go to verse 1, Luke 1, verse 1, it says this, Since, as we all know, many have undertaken to put an order and to draw up a thorough narrative of surely established deeds which have been accomplished and fulfilled in and among us, exactly as they were handed down to us by those whom from the official beginning of Jesus' ministry were eyewitness uh, and ministers of the word that is of the doctrine concerning, the doctrine means the, 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 the teachings concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation in the kingdom of God. That's important. Verse 2, I'll break it down for you. <coughs> He's saying this, exactly as they were handed down to us, by, or excuse me, in verse 1, let me start there. Since, as we all know, many have many, not just Matthew, not just Mark, not just John, many, have undertaken to put in order and to draw up a thorough narrative, narrative, that means a story, of the surely established deeds in which have been accomplished and fulfilled in us and among us, now notice what he says in verse 2. Exactly as they were handed down to us by those whom were eyewitnesses. So he's saying this. There are many people that have written stories about Jesus' ministry and what he accomplished on the earth. And they've written them through secondhand knowledge. They were not a part of it. They've been told stories and then later remembered those and wrote those down. And then he's going to tell you why he's writing the book of Luke right here. Verse 3, it seemed good and desirable to me, and so I have determined also 
after having searched out diligently and followed all things closely and traced accurately the course from the highest to the most minute detail from the very first to write an orderly. So this is an order now. The book of Luke is in order. An orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He names the name again. <clears throat> Although there's no record of Theophilus ever being an actual person, many believe that he was, and it matters very little whether or not he was. The point is, he's using that term to address the church at large. And so we see that Luke is detailed. And now we skip over here to the book of Acts, and Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he's very detailed oriented. And this is what he says in verse 2 of Acts 1. Until the day when he, being Jesus, ascended, after he threw the Holy Spirit, somebody say the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. and instructed and commanded the apostles. Now that term apostles here is not a term that was coined by Jesus. That is a term that was actually used by Rome in the Greek, and it would have been known throughout the earth at that time, and it means special messengers, special messengers. So he's using the term a little bit differently than Paul uses it in the book of Acts to mean spiritual father. This term is more uh, in the original Greek, meaning special messengers, and what the apostles would have done for Caesar, and many of you have read or watched movies or heard about the story of Alexander the Great, he being a great conqueror for Rome and Caesar. And Alexander the Great conquered many lands, as did many other Caesars. And Caesar is just a term that means king or ruler. And so when Caesar would conquer a new territory, and let's pretend that West Virginia is, uh, is a, a totally different country, and it's separated by the river, but we are Rome, and we're going to take West Virginia for Rome today, right now. And we go over there, and we take Mason County. Now, Mason County is a part of Rome, or a part of Ohio, but they don't speak our language. They don't have our culture. They don't have our identity. So what would happen is Caesar would appoint apostles for each territory, and the apostle would go over there as a special messenger, and he would be procurator. He would be the governor, if you will. And what he would do is he would begin to change the educational system immediately. And he would begin to teach the language of Rome, which, which was Greek. He would change the mathematical system and put it on a standard equation uh, uh, that would correlate specifically with Rome. He would begin to change every area of life, even down to the dress and the pronunciation of words, they would all be changed. They would work to change the color on the houses, the type of tapestries and different things that were woven to make them all uniform with Rome. And that's the role of an apostle, is that they would be a special messenger to proclaim the law or the way of Rome, and specifically Caesar, and to be, if you would, a, if you would, a father for the culture of Rome in a foreign land. That's what... The term apostle means. And Jesus used that term. It was very widely known, even though we don't use it today. It would have been readily known then. He says here, Luke speaking, about apostles. He says, to them, in verse 3, also he showed himself alive after his passion. Now he's talking about the passion of the Christ. Best way to, um, to show that. Now this is important. 
Because this is, this is really the only time that that term is coined concerning the uh, crucifixion of Christ in the New Testament. And it's important to note that all the way up until the Middle Ages, if you go back and you look at paintings and drawings and information concerning Christ, they did not depict Christ on the cross or Christ being one who had just been scourged or beaten. He, he was only depicted as a victorious Christ. They did not depict or, or focus on the suffering or the passion of Christ concerning the cross. Now we do that today, and we, we have a whole holiday that we devote to the cross. But I want to tell you that Jesus didn't stay on the cross, and neither should the church. Amen. The real Amen. emblem of Christianity is not the cross. The cross is the emblem of suffering and shame, but the emblem of humanity is the empty tomb. Amen. Yeah. Yes, sir. Amen. The empty tomb represents Christianity because in the tomb, resurrection power gave him the ability to get up and overcome everything that he had just endured. Yeah. That is the emblem of Christianity. And Paul, or excuse me, Luke is talking about the passion of the Christ here. In other words, his suffering in the garden and on the cross by a series of many convincing demonstrations or unquestionable evidences. This is important. By many convincing demonstrations, we're in verse 3 of, of Acts 1. And, and un, uh, unquestionable evidences and infallible proofs appearing to them 40 days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. Now this is important. This is important. Because what Luke is giving us here is that after Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the grave, for 40 days he was alive on the earth appearing to many. For 40 days. And then he was taken up into heaven. How many of you know that the day of Pentecost is what? 50 days after Passover. Right. So Jesus is on the earth for 40 days. He's appearing to them. And he's, he's doing many uh, demonstrations. And unquestionable evidences. And infallible proofs. And he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. And while being in their company and eating with them. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. So 10 days from. It's 10 days out from Pentecost. And he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. And he said unto them, You have heard me speak, talking about the book of John, St. John 14, 16, 26. You can read that at home. And also John 15 and 26, talking about the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, verse 5, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with. Now, baptized with. That means placed in and introduced into. The Holy Spirit. Now the church has taught for many years. Because of some mistranslations of words. Concerning Acts 2 and verse 38. That when the Holy Spirit came. That it was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But here in the words of Christ. Luke writes down in great detail for us. That what happened on the day of Pentecost. Was not the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But it was the baptismo. The immersion into the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Jesus, the Spirit comes to live in us. But when we are baptized by the Spirit, we are baptized into Him. So the, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Right. Amen. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. 
Yes. And when we are baptized into Jesus, it's like we are placed into Jesus and now we're wearing Jesus. It would be just like if you all of a sudden were taken out a piece of you. Imagine a big, huge Jesus and then you were placed into a piece of you into Jesus and now you're walking around as Jesus. That's what happens when the baptism of the Spirit comes on you as you receive power from on high. Power to do the works of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. <coughs> so let's go on quickly. And it says this. So when they were assembled, they asked him, Lord, in this time, will you reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? So now hold on. They're talking about the kingdom of Israel. Jesus isn't even talking about the kingdom of heaven. Three kingdoms. The church has spent all the time focusing on the kingdom of heaven. The Jews are talking about the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus came to talk about the kingdom of God. Amen. Yes, sir. We spent all of our time trying to get people to heaven. Jesus spent his ministry on earth getting heaven to people. See, we need to walk in a measure of heaven on the earth. That everywhere we go, we are literally, I mean, heaven is exuding from our essence. That we're not waiting on a promised day to where we will just escape by and by, but I'm walking in a measure of the blessing of God. Now, I want you to move as a church and as a people beyond the term blessing being money right. or being right. things. It's not about money or things. It's about walking in the blessing. That means walking in the atmosphere. It's, it's talking about authority. The blessing of God, his favor is his authority. Man. Notice the, the story that Jesus gave about the prodigal son. This will help you if your children or family are not living right. Notice the father never went to the son. Right. He heard stories. But he went right up to the edge of his property every day and he looked. No, not today. And then when the son came back, the father never left his place to go find the son. No. He stayed right there in his place. And then when the son came back, what did he do? The first thing he did is he took his robe off and he put it on him. And he took his ring off and he put it on him. Both of those are symbols of authority. Because every ruler will have on a robe and a ring. A signet ring. Amen. And that's a picture of us being baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. So that the blessing of God, I know we're a little bit deep tonight, but I want you to get this. That the blessing of God, the favor of God, is not so you can buy a new car or have a nice watch. That's great. We want you to do that. But what it's really about is walking in the authority of God. Don't talk to me about, pray for me, pastor, I need a new car, when you're still walking around with a spirit of poverty come up in your mind. No, you've got to have authority to break the spirit of poverty in your mind. Then we can pray for you a new car. Amen. See, because when you step out of the spirit of poverty, you won't be trying to run around and get a new car. You'll be walking in the blessing, and you'll be distributing God's resources in the earth. Some of those resources are words. Some of those resources are praying. See, a while ago, when uh, just a moment ago, when 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 I when I had him come up and I was I was praying over him right here. See, that was the blessing of God. That wasn't me. I couldn't heal a flea. I could I couldn't know that. I, I struggle with, with just knowing the basics of English. Ask my wife. Yes. There's no way I could know the inner workings of a person's heart. That's God. That's the blessing. Now that's not just for me. That's for everybody. 
to walk in a level of blessing. See, because you can't buy that. I said, you can wake up and have a problem, call 911, they can take you to the hospital and rush you into surgery and put in stents and do bypasses and all that, and you'll come out and you'll have a diminished quality of life. But you can have one word from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right. Yeah. Amen. And the Holy Spirit can distribute the blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. But see, I, I wouldn't be able to distribute the blessing if I'm running around here worrying about how I'm going to get a car. Right. All right. That's right. Yeah. I got to be walking in the blessing. Yeah. So the blessing that's on me is the authority of God. So the authority of God. The, the first thing is, when the blessing comes on me, he creates a space in me to be able to begin to hear his word. Right. Yes, sir. Hear his voice. Yes. So the word of God teaches me how to hear the voice of God when I'm reading it. <clears throat> then I learn how God moves, how he speaks, how he operates. Then I begin to hear the still small voice leading me. And see, about 14, 16 months ago, the Holy Spirit began to lead me out of debt. And begin to cancel debt in my life. And I'm thankful for that today. And God's begun to do many other great things so that today I don't run around worried about how am I going to get this? How am I going to get that? I don't do that. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't worry about it then. I'd go to the fridge, open it up. There was nothing to eat. Then all of a sudden, the first miracle was one person I sold the dog to in Wisconsin. I got a package in the mail. About that big. Of the most amazing, fresh Wisconsin cheese curds. Glory to God. You think cheese curds get nasty to you, not when you're hungry. That's right. It is good. That's right. I was frying them, cooking them, putting them in beans of soup. Man, I had a heck of a time with cheese curds. They lasted me a couple of weeks, man. Good stuff. Praise God. It was great. God began to bless. Now, I never did worry about where food was going to come from. You know, I ate out more during that time of my life than I have ever eaten out. People would mail me gift cards for restaurants and put checks in there to give me money to get gas and go eat. I didn't even have to worry about cooking at home. God supernaturally provided it. Why? Because I was walking in the blessing. I was in his authority. I heard his voice. He told me to do this. I stepped out in faith to do that. And as I was following him, the blessing of the Lord was on me to do what I needed to do. See, God wants to take us into that. But it's coming through order. It's coming through. Somebody just say, it's coming through order. It's coming through order. It's coming through order. It's coming through divine order. I said, it's coming through order. It's coming through order. It's coming through order. It's coming through order. This is what Appalachia needs to hear. This is what America needs to hear because we've gotten away from order. We don't know anything about order anymore. We don't know anything about authority anymore. We don't know anything about respect anymore. We don't know anything about admiration anymore. We don't understand how God is moving because the enemy has sent out his own apostles or special messengers. They air every day on Cartoon Network and all throughout the media trying to make men look like total idiots because what the enemy wants to do is strip away authority out of the household so you, you got a whole generation that doesn't know how to honor authority. Amen. Authority. Yes, sir. Authority. Right. Authority. Authority. It's coming through order. It's coming through divine order. Glory to God. And then this is what he goes on to say. In verse 7. And he said unto them, 
It's not for me, excuse me, it's not for you to become acquainted with or to know, to barely see this little light, to become acquainted with or to know, excuse me, what time brings the things and events of time and their definite period or fixed years. In other words, you're not going to know the dispensations and the seasons and the critical niche in time which the Father has appointed and fixed and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power, the Father's personal power. But you shall receive. Now Jesus gets back to it here. Tell them what the promise is about. You shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might. Authority. You shall receive authority when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the baptism comes upon you. When you've been robed in authority. When you've been baptized into me. No longer will you be only disciples. But as Jesus said, you will then be co or joint heirs, brothers with me, because I'm going to send another one that's going to baptize you into me. You're going to put on me. And everywhere you go, you're going to walk in my authority. Amen. That's why David said, the battle is not mine, but the battle is the Lord's. Because he was walking in a measure of authority that no one else knew about. He understood. It doesn't matter who comes against me, David, whether it's Goliath, whether it's Saul, whether it's the Moabites or the Amorites or the Hittites or the Jebusites, whatever kind of ites you have, the, the God in me is going to smite all the ites because I'm walking in his authority. So you've got to get this. It's all about authority. It's all about order. God is wanting to send order, order, order into your life, order, order into the church, not just this church, every church, every church, the church of America, order. And this is what he says after the Holy Spirit has come on you. And notice what he says. And you shall be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. Samaria is important because Samaria is the place in which the half-breeds the people that were half Jewish by race or ethnicity. And then notice what he says, and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. <clears throat> and then when Jesus said that final statement on the earth, notice the last statement of Jesus, the last words. How many of you know that a man's last words are important? People gather around, attorneys write down and record somebody's last words. It's called their last will and testament. Yes. And someone's last words are the most important thing that they've really ever said. Amen. People remember their last words. I think we all remember the last words of Jesus. Amen. And before tonight, most of us in this room didn't realize that the last words of Jesus didn't take place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That they took place in the book of Acts. Yes, and that Luke is writing it down. He says this. These are the last words of Jesus. But you shall receive a power, power ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Jesus speaking, and you shall be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. And when he had said this, verse 9, even as they were looking at him, all of a sudden he was caught up. Does some, does, what does that mean? It, it means that all of a sudden it was like 
that little call in that little machine, and it goes down and it gets the one, you know, standing in the middle of all the rest of them, the one stuffed dog, and he was just caught up. Something happened, all of a sudden they're looking at Jesus, and all of a sudden he starts going, and then, oh my God, you see, what's going on here? I mean, they don't even know what to say. He was crucified. He was in the tomb. We put him in there. Now he's back out of there. The angel, the this and that. Healing, all the signs, wonders, 40 days. We thought he was going to set up the kingdom. And all of a sudden, he takes off like a rocket ship. We're watching him now. He's not just walking on water. The dude is levitating mm -hmm. out of the atmosphere. And so they're all standing there going, Wow, we're going to come back now. It's going to be awesome. What's going to happen? I'll be back tomorrow about the same time. He'll just walk through the wall again like he did, you know, and he'll just be back in there. And then notice what happens. And the cloud received him. And if we read the book of Revelation, we understand that it really wasn't a cloud, but that it was a great host of witnesses. Yeah. It looked like a cloud, but it was really all the people that had already gone on to heaven. They received him. You ever seen a cloud receive anything? No. So it's a, it's a euphemism. It's a, a cloud received him, and the cloud carried him away out of their sight. You ever seen a cloud carry anything? Nope. Nothing. Can't even hold water, can it? Nope. Bumping up against each other, got a drop of water. How could a cloud carry Jesus? There's a cloud of witnesses out of their sight. And verse 10, it said this, And while they were gazing intently into heaven, so they're just dumbfounded, all of a sudden, as he went, behold, two men dressed in white robes stood beside them. Wouldn't that be scary? You talk about something to freak you out. You're looking. Oh, wow. Look Gosh, dude, in a white robe. I mean, if I saw that today, I would be freaked out because who wears their bathrobe outside? You know what I mean? That's what I would be thinking. That's not what they were thinking. They're thinking, what's happening here? Notice what they said. And they said this, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? The same Jesus, not another Jesus. Not Mohammed. No, not Buddha. No. Not Hare Krishna. No. The same Jesus. Who was caught up, carried away, and lifted up from among you into heaven. Were returning just the same way in which you saw him going to heaven. Then the disciples went back to Jerusalem. Notice what they did. Now these, these people, now I want you to get this with me. I'm almost done, don't worry. These people had been with Jesus. They'd seen the miracles. They'd touched the hole in his side. They'd seen the nails in his wrists. They saw the marks where the thorns jabbed down and hit his skull and then went in between his skull and his skin. They saw the places where the skin had been ripped off of his back. They saw the miracles where he spit and made mud, stuck it in a hole in a person's eye, and all of a sudden, that turned into an eyeball. They saw the lepers cleansed and made whole. They saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They saw the miracles. They listened to his teachings for three years. They knew Jesus. They ate with him. They slept with him. They even drank from the same cup. They even ate from the same loaf of bread. They knew Jesus. But notice what they did. They didn't say, we got it, Doc. We could be good witnesses. Let's go start telling everybody about what we've seen. No. Notice what they did. 
Immediately after the two angels spoke to them, the Bible says the disciples went back to Jerusalem from the hill called Olive, which is near Jerusalem, <clears throat> only a Sabbath day's journey, that is three quarters of a mile, in other words, away. That's all they could travel on the Sabbath. They didn't go start their ministry. They didn't say, well, we got it. He's gone. We'll take it from here. Mm. Nothing like that happened. Mm. They said, we better do exactly what he said. We better go away to Jerusalem. Sometimes the hardest thing you'll ever have to do as a Christian is wait. Amen. Sometimes the hardest thing you'll ever have to do is wait. Because, see, we got good ideas. We got a lot of good ideas. And, man, I spent a long time in my life chasing good ideas. But then I realized I couldn't enter into my destiny with a good idea. I had to be operating in God's idea. Amen. Yes. I had to wait for his method. I had to wait for how he wanted to do it. I had to wait for him. And then notice what happens. We're going to speed forward. And as they entered the city, they mounted the stairs to the upper room where they were uh, indefinitely staying. And Peter, many people believe this was actually Peter's house. There's a lot of, there's a lot of history to, to say that that was the case. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these men, thank you. Good. Wow, okay. Got to text back next week. And all of those with their minds in full agreement, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer, waiting together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with all his brothers. Now notice what they did. With their minds in full agreement, they devoted themselves. We've got to be in full agreement. There will be no outpouring of the Spirit there will be no manifestation of his presence until the church gets in agreement. Amen. It's got to be agreement. There was no outpouring of the Spirit until they were in agreement. And this is what it says, and we're going quickly. Now, on one of those days, Peter rose among the brethren, the whole number who gathered together, and was about 120. Wow. Jesus has fed multitudes. He's had hundreds of disciples. If you read the, the final chapters of the book of Matthew, there's 500 disciples walking around Jerusalem with him. Now, and they got to wait and pray, only 120 can make it. And this is what he says. Brother, he said, it was necessary that the spirit, the scripture, excuse me, be fulfilled, with, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the lips of David about Judas uh, who acted as a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received by divine allotment his portion in this ministry. In other words, he had equal opportunity not to betray Jesus. Now, this man obtained a piece of land with the money, meaning Judas, 
that was paid him as a reward for his treachery and wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of his body, and all of his intestines poured forth. Now what happened is, Judas bought a piece of land, and it was a piece of land nobody really wanted because they'd been dumping trash and bodies there for a long time. And a lot of it was just a hillside, a cliffside, and Judas tied a rope around his neck and around a tree beside him, and he jumped off, and the rope was so long that whenever he, he got to the end of the rope, what happened is his body swung back in, and it, it began to tear out his intestines on the side of the cliff. It literally tore him in two as he hung himself. That's what happened to Judas. And this is what it said. And all the residents of Jerusalem uh, became acquainted with, with, the fact, with those facts. So that they called the piece of land in their own dialect, Al-Kadema, the field of blood, still known as that to this very day, as a matter of fact. For in the book of Psalms, it's written, let his place uh, uh, of residence become deserted and gloomy, and let there be no one to live in it again. Let another take his position or overseership, Psalms 65, 69, 25, and 109, 8. And it's still known today as the field of blood. No one lives there. And then, let me just go quickly. So they, they cast lots. They take Matthias. And it's amazing that Matthias never really announced anything. Just stand up with me. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and give a rating. To learn more about our ministry go to bradfordministries.net